Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing The Duelist, directed by Ridley Scott, Videodrome by David Cronenberg, Hook by Steven Spielberg, newly released Reminiscence by Lisa Joy, and Malignant, directed by James Wan. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? How's it going, Tom? It's going well. How was your uh, How's your week of movies, man? Week of movies was good. Uh, I had a uh, a lot of enjoyment. Finally, getting some spooky films in, and uh, obviously anticipation of October coming up. Sure, sure. So I'm happy to to take a look at some of the newer releases, uh, setting up some maybe some older type of horror films that I always want to check out, so uh, this is definitely a dip into that, but also some very good films, one of which I'm very excited to talk about, which I think we'll probably lead off with. Absolutely. You're talking about The Duelist. I am talking about The Duelist. All right. 1977, Ridley Scott. We can go ahead and intro this in a way, folks, that understand that this is... Something that's probably not on your radar if you are a Ridley Scott fan. Ridley Scott, of course, uh, director of the Alien franchise, Blade Runner, obviously most recently did a production, his or his unit did production for Raised by Wolves for HBO. So a lot of sci-fi uh, of what you would come across with Ridley Scott. This is a period piece, however, in yeah, Napoleonic yeah. times, which is awesome. And I had honestly, going into it, no idea Ridley Scott directed it, which was such a... Was the movie on your radar at all? Uh, not really. Uh, it was something that I I wanted to watch because Harvey Keitel was in it. I always yep. want to kind of check him out as far as earlier roles. Yeah, he's cool. He's cool. Absolutely. And it is a cool movie as far as being it, it being structured in a relationship of two soldiers with having this dual streak. Little did I know this was not only a Ridley Scott film, this was Ridley Scott's first film as well. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was it was uh, 77. When was Alien? Uh, I want to say 70... Like 79 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, maybe something like, like that. I always thought it was earlier, now come to think of I it. I kind of thought that too. I'll check that though. But uh, but when when it comes to this film, the reason why I preface it in that way is because I think despite it maybe not being the main line or the main success uh, or skill set that Ridley Scott has and lends his his creative talent to, uh, as far as the theme of science fiction, uh, really absolutely worth your time there is oh, cool. a huge huge draw in this film of how it's structured the plot jumps across many years uh, and it it really does service 
the film in two ways. The narrative being fueled by these soldiers uh, that are interested in each other for their dueling prowess. On top of that, we have in the background of this, these time jumps being focused on the progression of the Napoleonic era. Uh, So Hmm. when I call this film a period piece, you probably come to mind, you think of maybe some Oscar bait, you know, kind of Victorian, you know, classical type of dialogue. There is some of that here, but it's a period piece in the, in the best way because it's structured around action in the entire film. Right, right. Uh, but there is absolutely some enjoyment to tracking the years that progress in the film and tying them into uh, the Napoleonic era and, and what was going on at the time. So I think there is some enjoyment for some history buffs and where it ties into how these characters are evolving with the events around you. I think there is a balancing act that the film and the plot, uh, or rather the script of this, the screenplay, it creates a, a, a wonderful dance because we have developments in the characters from the events we see on screen. But then there are background elements never really explained fully, but you can feel them in the progression of the characters and w- how they're being structured and, and and what they're being introduced to as far as new characters, set pieces, and everything like that. Uh, really enjoyable for that reason. I think it does that balancing act of a period piece for that reason. Wow, very cool. Yeah. This wasn't on my radar. I didn't, I didn't even know about it. I, I don't think a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, also a film that I believe was from an original novel. Uh, not uncommon for a for, uh, you know a director's first foray into a feature film to kind of be based off of a, a every um, based off of something written. Uh, I think for the acting though, the both leads Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel, uh, they are phenomenal. They, uh, they carry really well. Absolutely, and and, and Keith uh, Carradine. Not exactly someone as an actor that I really know that much about. I, yeah. I this is probably the first major film that I've seen uh, him in. Uh, so not someone that I know and, and and certainly don't know his filmography from, but really enjoyable and 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 the kind of duplicity. It's honestly odd to use that type of word for something so old fashioned, but there is a duplicity between the two characters. There's a, a draw that uh, you're always waiting for to see when are these two characters going to be on screen with each other. This feud. so I, I was just going to ask you how do they share a lot of screen time together, or do they do they hold down the fort separately in their own scenes? Well. Yes, uh, they hold down the fort uh, definitely separately. Uh, Kaitel actually takes a back seat. Keith is really the, uh, okay. the the main lead here in in how it's structured and in, in, in how the scenes are put, and then they cross each other. Basically. Okay, and them together on screen is. Uh, fantastic. The best part. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Mostly because more often than not, that is when combat sequences or action sequences are taking place. I think that's another great point to why this is a period piece that I would highly, highly recommend because it's not going to bore you to tears. Not only are you paying attention to maybe some historical appreciation, not only are you paying attention to a very good character drama that is well-written, the action is fantastic. Wow, uh, you okay. know, these are, this is, it's high stakes and you're, you kind of can't wait until the next encounter in this type of film. 
which honestly is a blessing because I think if there is going to be a barrier to how I recommend a period piece is, is it really going to be worth, you know, the huge time investment that maybe comes with a longer runtime on a film and, you know, even if it may be, you know, falling to some criticism like being Oscar bait or something. Right, like right, that, right. You know, but sets, costumes, props. All great. The star of the show absolutely is the on-location shoots. The on-location for his shoots. first film too. How, I, how great! How this is great to hear. Absolutely, and and that's why it's a point that I wrote down. the The on-location shots are not only beautifully shot cinematography-wise, being the backdrop for uh, some very exciting sequences, but they are gorgeous. They are beautiful and really let you capture the feel. Obviously, mm-hmm. no, none of us know what it would be like to live in the Napoleonic era, but it really does create a wonderful feel that we are transported into an older world, uh, older fashion, and that goes a long way to the storytelling of it because. We don't know what it's like to be driven by honor or be driven by this kind of dualist code, and that is the heart of the film, the main through line. So it's important for for us to be transported in that way. The star of the show for that transportation is, again, these these location shoots. But bottom line, it is— Where where is it taking place? All over Europe. Okay, Uh, all over, yeah. Yeah, some of it is in France, of course. Of course, yeah. Some of it is uh, progressing further and further through the Napoleonic campaign as well so that you get some action in Germany get some action in Poland I believe it's it's good wow, stuff yeah, it's okay. good and I was surprised too especially with how old of a film this is yeah uh, you know I mean I was expecting to be maybe a little bit bored it was maybe an some, awesome maybe time maybe a little cheesy or something like that in yeah. some scenes what, what made you find this were you looking up Ridley Scott films or were you just looking up like kind of unknown greats uh, films this was uh, something that was kind of on a list that I wanted to take a look at just interesting films written off of books or having some sort of source material. I found Harvey Keitel. That probably landed it on right, me right. writing it down. And then from there, again, it was me just chipping away at a list and finding out almost as I was starting it up that it was directed by Ridley Scott. And again, no no That's less. A surprise. First film, which is, yeah. which is insane. Yeah, Alien was 79, yeah. And he goes on to Alien right after this. Two totally different uh, two entirely different films. It was also for me wow. uh, a wonderful period piece to a future period piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like uh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> exactly. For me, little bit of an insight, and of course, I will eventually dedicate uh, probably a whole episode to this, folks. But the first Alien is one of my favorite films of all time. So to watch something by Ridley Scott, technically the only one before Alien, and try to also spot some of. His very early film craft, uh, you know, his, his sure, yeah, it, it was so enjoyable for me as well. And, and if you appreciate Ridley Scott, I think that again, another feather in the cap of this movie. So while were you watching it, were you picking up on little things that is pure Ridley Scott? Like, are because you just watching his movies over the years and really liking his earlier stuff? Did you watch this and be like, oh, that's totally Ridley Scott? Like I don't know if I could pick that out. I would probably definitely have to give Duelist another watch, uh, just because. And really look for it. Okay. Exactly. I think I think that's definitely uh, an interesting project, and, and maybe that's that's when we return to Alien or just Ridley Scott as a as a director theme sure. in general. That would be something I would absolutely look to. Right. Right. 
I think bottom line, it really comes down to it. It's everything you want out of a period piece, and I can't stress enough, not in any sort of boring way. Uh, I really had a wonderful time with this film and recommend it highly for that reason. Yeah, it's a quick film. It's at um, an hour and 40 minutes, too. Absolutely. You're not putting a ring on it. And when I say that... There is a spine, there is a backbone of action driving maybe even the slower parts. I think everyone can get invested into that as an audience member. And there's many different extra add-ons from the historical element, from this being Ridley Scott's first film, that is going to create more of an attractive entry to watching a film like this out of nowhere. You know, a film from 77 sure. yeah. out of nowhere. But we are going to get go ahead and give The Duelists... And 83. Wow. Absolutely. I was happy, too. Oh, my God. I've been at, at ends with Ridley Scott for, obviously, his newer films and newer productions. A little tough. A little tough. A lately. little tough. Absolutely. I, 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 this is shocked. And, yeah. and it's, I don't know if it, people picked up. We mentioned it before. I don't know the movies you're reviewing until we sit mm-hmm. down here. Right. Uh, I had no idea. I didn't even know this movie existed. And 83, <laughs> again, to remind folks, 83 is like under must-watch films. When you crack that 80s, these are movies that everyone should t- set aside. And, and see absolutely or, or sit, yeah take take time to see and i think this one plainly sits in a, a spot that i mean i don't know many movies about kind of napoleon's age uh but uh or napoleonic era uh, but this is absolutely something that kind of fits in that slot and and, and checks a box for sure I, wow that, what a nice surprise mm-hmm. I, was I was happy to lead off with it we do this uh <laughs> chronologically of course in, in how to introduce it so we have the the newer movies last uh and uh i was i was happy to lead off with this one because I'm I think the past couple episodes as you well. You even tipped me off before the mics came on. You weren't like, oh, we got a big one coming up. Nothing. Right. This was a big boy alert. Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely. I'm going to give this a watch as soon as possible. Absolutely. I mean, we're in it. We've done a, um, you know, I mean, we're still in some of our first episodes, but mm-hmm. uh, this is still. I think the only this is the second eighty we ever got on the list. I I think so. At least yeah. as far as yeah yeah. Uh, wow. But the uh, duelist, the duelist at eighty three percent. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody, give it a watch. Shall we uh, keep it going? Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, I mean, I guess nowhere to go but down. Maybe maybe not, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> right. So we're moving on to 1983, Videodrome. Videodrome. So uh, this is what I was referring to as some of the horror films we're dipping into. David Cronenberg, uh, behind the lens on this one, uh, David Cronenberg is a madman. <laughs> he is... Such a crazy set designer, prop designer, of course, uh, for our folks at home that may not know all of Cronenberg's work. This is The Fly. This is Scanners. Videodrome is... A weird dude. Yeah. Uh, a weird dude. Also has done less horror films uh, in the 2000s. He did Eastern Promises and has a, kind of a, not a mini trilogy, but almost an unofficial trilogy. Oh, of he movies. did Eastern Promises? Yeah, I know. Oh. Which is an oddball, especially... I mean, not to my knowledge, I don't think Easter Promise has any practical effects, like as far as like a monster, or, you know, even like gore and whatnot. Right, right. So, Videodrome is a movie plainly in that that madness uh, that you associate with movies like The Fly, from the practical effects to the premise to how the character and the world is created. It is engaging, intoxicating, and also a little disgusting for that reason, but Hmm. Something that I think falls into definitely above average watch for how how novel and how 
knew, even from a film from 83, I could not predict this film at all of where it was going. And, and, and So this was the first watch. You, you didn't see this five years ago or anything no, like that? No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, and recently we watched Scanners, which was one of his films. That, again... Really surprised me, really shocked me as far as where the movie was going uh, and just how the practical effects were introduced. I think that's the unsettling element of these practical effects is the best part about it. Not only do they hold up 100%. Cool. I mean, that's um, awesome. They're shocking in a way that CGI probably could never be. And it's shocking, not because it looks the realest, because it looks alien, because it looks disturbing if you came across it. You know, you, you kind of put yourselves in the, the shoes of the characters. So uh, it's shocking and unpredictable in, in, the, in a really quite a good way. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's a serious uh, positive mark for horror, especially horror, where yeah, it's yeah. so formulaic. And, and we'll get to, obviously, talking about a modern yeah, horror you know, this that's, episode, That's true. Too. You know what to expect from a lot of modern-day horrors, and you can see, you know, 20 minutes in the movie, you kind of can make up how the rest is going to go a little bit. Absolutely. For, for, the, for the bulk of them. So it's yep. nice to have that shock and all kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, I think where we dip in, especially talking about the character shoots, James Woods, uh, Hades. <laughs> from, <laughs> that's always what I uh, remember him as for, uh, growing up as a 90s kid. He, he plays a downright vile character dealing in um, a television production around snuff, around porn, around uh, violent content. And there is a, a unsettling crafting around the world that the science fiction in this film is not in anything beyond the world being kind of dystopian. Uh, it is our world, but it's you know it takes place in uh, places like Pittsburgh and and Seattle and and all this stuff. But there. It is a it is a different world where people are vile. They are they're they're more connected to their urges. It is a, a dark, almost dystopian type of society, but very close and run by TV, uh, run by mm. the television, and that's where kind of this video drone uh, title comes from. Uh, there is a for that reason a mastercraft in the world crafting because. You're introduced to very abstract concepts in the film. For instance, uh, no spoilers, but there is a kind of a missionary group that specializes in TV therapy. Okay. And it, you're looking at this, and it's like it's in a church. It's almost like a soup kitchen for TV. And you're looking at this, and you're like, what's going on? Uh, but slowly and slowly, you pick up a a literacy about the world that uh, Cronenberg is crafting throughout the movie. Mm, uh, and okay. I got to give serious props to that because nothing is really set explanation. Nonetheless, I came out of the film understanding exactly the type of horror universe that Videodrome creates in its film. It's wow. uh, it's a really interesting time. And, and I think what holds the film back here, uh, and much how I said James Woods plays a downright vile character... Every character in this is unredeemable. This is a horror film that there is almost no protagonist uh, in its structure because everyone is either a piece of shit uh, and getting what's coming to them or, you know, part of the madness that unfolds in wow. the film. So, and so you're kind of wishing there was a character. Yeah, you kind of wish there was a at least a gray character, mm -hmm. some good to him, and things mm -hmm. like that. So this is just all, all bad. downright rotten people. Yeah, and maybe that's but, the old-fashioned way that you would create a horror film that 
if you're going to see violence on screen, it best happen to people that have it coming to them. Right, right. It makes it a little bit difficult to recommend this film for a broad audience, though, because I would almost give a trigger warning to some of the stuff on the film that James Woods deals with as a character. Uh, it's intense. Uh, and almost from the first 15 minutes, you're saying, wow, this character is an absolute piece of human garbage. So is it almost like do you almost wish do you almost wish while watching it you wish you had somewhat of a decent guy to be rooting for? Because are you rooting for James Woods at at any point in the film? I think the film naturally progresses towards the thing that he's getting more and more involved in the madness that unfolds and as any kind of fight or flight response, this character is going to try to overcome that. I don't say I was ever really particularly rooting for him for that reason. Uh, okay, so, all right. Uh, maybe creates a, a, a weird dynamic among the film. Also, again, specific to the ratings for what we're talking about here as a viewer guide, as you know, something that I can recommend to people. A very interesting film. Uh, if you're involved in any sort of practical effects or appreciation of practical effects, I would say almost required watching in any other circumstance and especially among horror circumstances. Something that falls much more middle of the road for me because it's a tough watch in a lot of instances. It's hmm. very graphic. And that's even the practical effects aside. That's before we get into the, the crazy stuff. Too. Okay. So the subject matter oh, is what is, is, is tough here. Soundtrack, a bit John Carpenter-ish, very synthy, very groovy. Works in some areas where it's trippy. Uh, it's also a little bit hit or miss for that reason because okay. it sounds a bit amateurish, if okay. I'm being honest. Okay, oh, interesting. One thing with the practical effects, which I would be remiss to say if we weren't, I mean, if, if I didn't mention for John Carpenter, or I'm sorry, for a David Cronenberg <laughs> film, the effects are nowhere near as gross as The Fly, which is always the boundary for me. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, it's It's something that I think it hits a really nice balancing act both for the type of the type of gore, the type of crazy imagery that he's creating with his practical effects team. And it hits a really nice balancing act that you don't want to look away, where I feel with later things like The Fly, there's almost a gross-out factor that you kind of want to look away. So it, that's a, a, a very good positive note for video. Wow, okay, yeah. That's yeah. a good distinction, I think. Yeah, because you could hear Cronenberg and only know The Fly and say, oh, those are really gross movies. Uh, I think this is a bouncing app in between. And, so. and just for more distinction, would you characterize this as watch any time during the year or just it being a bit of a horror kind of weird thing? Does it fit in the whole spooky Halloween-y type thing? It's, or it, no, it, it's no. definitely not ghouls and goblins. <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely is sci-fi horror, plainly, just because of how out there it is. But I think... I think I'd rather take that any day over, what, a vampire movie? Like, do, you, do you think Cronenberg always has his own genre of, like, mm. <laughs> weird horror? That's it's, a good it, point, honestly. Like, it, it, like it's, it's, it's creepy. Yeah. It kind of, like, makes you feel gross. Yeah, it is. It is kind of gross-out horror, <laughs> gross. sci-fi, you know. Gross horror, sci-fi. Yeah, okay, yeah. Maddening those. worlds. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's out there for sure. I, I don't think I, I can talk too much more about it without really going into specifics. I think, bottom line here, if you are an appreciator of practical effects, it's a must-watch. I think for that reason, though, or rather the reasons of... Unlike most movies, there is almost no redeeming factors for characters and the subject matter of these characters. In a word, Videodrome is polarizing uh, and I think is, is, is difficult to rate for a, a general thing. So that's why I want to kind of give that caveat. I think beyond that, though, we're going to go ahead and give Videodrome a 69. A 69 is still pretty good. Polarizing, 
that's good. And it's with 69, do you think that's almost slicing in the middle a little bit? Kind of a love or hate. People are going to watch it. Maybe some people would love it for the right. artistic style. And exactly. maybe in their heads would like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then some people would watch it and be like, this should be like a 30. Yeah. Because maybe they're just... Re- repulsed by it yeah right? you hit the nail on the head i think yeah the, uh, you know you show this to your mom or something like that <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna you know it's giving you an exorcist after, yeah, yeah. You know? uh it is um yeah for that reason it really could land a large part in the spectrum i think me yeah i am an appreciator of practical effects i think that's why it is a little bit higher on that uh, because i cool it, i really do think it, it's amazing what he does on screen and it's amazing what he does with his world too that's awesome. That's yeah, David Cronenberg. There's somebody to just keep on paying attention to. I Absolutely. need to go back through and it, kind of his his repertoire and just kind of go through some of his films. Sixty nine for video drama though, very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go on a, on a much much lighter, happier, <laughs> softer note in a weird way. Yeah, we go from a uh, high ranking film, a polarizing film. Let's talk yeah, about there, some. There's lighter. elements of darkness in this a little bit, uh, but hey, let's do Hook with Robin Williams. <laughs> That's amazing. And Dustin Hoffman, fantastic. The king, the king Tom of uh, of transitions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Hook, Steven Spielberg uh, behind the camera on this. Uh, honestly, I think I, I was recommended this by a friend when I said I have never seen it. Obviously, with with this podcast now and getting into full swing, I'm open to watch anything and let that be a bridge as well. If we have recommendations from the audience, uh, oh, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, Abs- uh, yeah, ideas for specials, mm-hmm. anything like that. I'm really open to it because even if I've seen it, uh, I like returning to things with a critical outlook. Especially if I've seen it, I can really just focus on what my criticism is. Yeah, you know. And even if you've seen something, and I don't know if people picking up, when you, you know, you could see a movie four times before, mm-hmm. but if you're doing it specifically to get it on the ratings, to get it on the site for the podcast, you rewatch them mm-hmm. fresh, yes. yeah. take notes and everything like that. Absolutely. As far as Hooks confer- con- um, is concerned, like you said earlier, we're kind of like, ni- we grew up in the 90s. That's yep. like early childhood was 90s. Mm-hmm. And like everybody our age loved this movie. Even a little mm-hmm. bit older, even some like younger Gen X folks mm-hmm. really love Hook. Um, it's escaped by kind of both of us. Yeah. Surprisingly. I, and that that's why there was almost like a, the audacity type of reaction from my, uh, from my friend that was recommending sure, sure. this to me. So, uh, you know, it was like, you haven't seen Hook? So... That was kind of the position we were in. I would say the best uh, and and the best credit I can give Hook is that it is a story that is obviously expanding on the mythos of Peter Pan. Uh, it's exp- you know it is a a sequel in a lot of senses to what that Peter Pan legend is or uh, the the Peter Pan uh, story is. The great the greatest part about it is you don't really need to be a Peter Pan fan to appreciate a lot of what is done here and a lot of what is done creatively with the story, folks. It's really a fun time to see yeah. how they change uh, and not evolve, but how they how they riff almost on what are going to be established tropes of Peter Pan. What is honestly going to be general knowledge of a very old story and a very old fairy tale for a general audience? And then as well, 
add in your Easter eggs, add in your callbacks for the hardcore fans to say, oh my god, that's this, or oh my god, that's that. And I think that's a really nice balancing act that probably would never be done today and in the future. They would just get way too overwhelmed with wanting to put Easter eggs with the hardcore fans or make that the entire film. Right, right, of course. Uh, so uh, I applaud Steven Spielberg for his his balancing act here uh, of making a movie that can stand apart on its own aside from source material and definitely if regardless if you're a fan or not, uh, which I think is a, a big a big check plus yeah, for me. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Absolutely. Robin Williams, I love Robin Williams. It's a bit of a mad performance here, more so because the role of the character is forced into this. There is a lot of the movie that he has to overcome and kind of find himself again, which is obviously part of the story. Probably it's why the uh, later half of the film is so good because we're finally in full swing of things. I would say for that reason, first half and specifically to Robin's performance, it's just maybe not the most enjoyable and certainly not the Robin Williams that we want to see in a major, major way. So do you think it's, but what you're kind of saying is it might not be because of Robin's performance. It really just might be because of what the character is. Yes. It's what he has to work with. Exactly. You know, uh, he's doing a good job acting, uh, but the character is uh, obviously for the story reasons going to be more toned back uh, and not the the full-blown Robin Williams that I would personally want to see on screen. Right, uh, that we get two years in Mrs. Doubtfire or something <laughs> right, like that. Right, right. Right, right. And maybe it doesn't have to be jokes all the time. Of course, I mean, some of my favorite Robin Williams uh, roles are his dramatic roles. Yeah, his much more serious stuff. Uh, but it, it just feels like he's a little bit shackled here, and it makes a little bit slower start for that reason. This is a very, very 90s movie. It is. Okay. It is. It bleeds... Uh, and it's early now. It's 91. I know. Uh, that's why I was I'm, surprised. It's like, so, yeah. It was a trendsetter then, you know? <laughs> that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Both in the casts, in the sets, in the skateboards. Uh, it is It is 90 through and through. Okay. The reason why I bring this up is that, again, for the... For the kind of watching guide of this, uh, there is a massive cast of kids and kid actors mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, big time, big uh, time. Some are really big hits. I would say most are misses to whatever. Yeah, it's tough um, to get. I yeah. mean, kid acting is just tough. It is. It is tough. It's just really tough. It's a stickler for me specifically because kid acting really takes me out of it. And, hey, and if, if, if you don't got chops, kid, you don't got <laughs> I mean, you know, bad acting. Off the street. <laughs> bad acting takes you out of a movie. You're right. No right. matter what age. No matter what age. Exactly. And, and and some stuff is obviously just played for like, oh, isn't that adorable? And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a kid's movie. You it's know? true. You know, kids uh, aren't going to be sitting there. Although I will make one thing is, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, I found that kids don't actually always love watching kids on screen. Mm-hmm. Kids want to be adults. Yeah. So kids love performance of adults and everything like that. It's just mm-hmm. it's one thing I've been noticing and picking up more. And we've been doing movie stuff lately, so I've just mm-hmm. even for more what I've been looking up and reading. And it's, it's interesting. Absolutely. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and I think uh, for me, it's it's just something important to note because for me, it was something that. I was looking at and more often than not saying, I wish I wish this wasn't as many kids. But don't get me wrong, it's Peter Pan. It's 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 Neverland. You don't grow up there, so <laughs> you kind of have to be.
be a kid there. So I understand that, it, you know, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. I think it's more so something to note for the palatability of if you like kid actors, if that's something that you know is a, you know, that is going to be a barrier uh, to your enjoyment and watching something, something to Well, talk to about it's of. either, it's either almost like, oh, it really, when you have a great kid actors, you know, you think of like, um, people love the Goonies. People, right. people love, um, it's a stand by me. Yep. And even like uh, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. which is newer, when you get good kid acting, it's it's almost just like you like it twice as much because mm-hmm. it's just like look how good these kids are acting. Oh my god! But as soon as they like aren't that great, yep, <laughs> totally, it's a miss there <laughs> for sure. One thing I always did remember from this movie though is how I was always surprised it was Dustin Hoffman. Oh uh, right, because he looks great. He's like Dustin. he looks phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, he looks phenomenal. And him playing Hook is so. So over the top, he's having <laughs> such a fun time with it too. Right, I, I really enjoyed uh, him on the screen, and I wish I would have seen that similar type of enjoyment and energy through Robin in the entire in the entire film. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, Dustin is absolutely a standout uh, as 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 Hook, which is fantastic. And there's and there's some really good callbacks in that as well. Uh, if you are, let me say it uh, on the other end uh, of the coin, if you are a fan of Peter Pan, if Peter Pan is is you know one of your favorite kind of children's stories or children's fairy tales then i would say this is a phenomenal film because when the film does lean into those more easter eggy kind of deep cut moments they're there in a very significant way in a very creative way again that's where i think the biggest highlight for this is how this film is expanding on a story a mythos that we all know and how it does that creatively with time jumps and and, and progression in mm-hmm. the world uh, which is which is awesome to see i think when it comes down to it bottom line not a fan still a good time beyond being a kid oriented film and i think for that reason as well it's something that if you have a baseline interest or even not just to see some of the performances and some of the creative set work here it is absolutely something that you should make some time for we're gonna go ahead and give hook a 72 72 very good yes I'm not going to tear it apart. Everybody. Kids films. Yeah, just kids films. Uh, just real quick, Julia Roberts as Tinker, Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. Good. You know. Good. Uh, not annoying. Some actually <laughs> some adult themes with that. but uh, I She think plays the part she needs. Exactly. She needs to be. Okay. Exactly. Um, yeah, 72 though overall. That's a, that's a pretty damn good score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. All right. So those are our three uh, kind of past movies there. We're going to step, just about to step into our uh, now playing films. First, we want to take our moment here, go to our producer segment. We want to remind everybody. This is a podcast and website going off the value-for-value value model. You're finding value in what we're providing in, in the scores and everything we have on the website. Are you listening through the podcast? Are you just enjoying it? We're trying to stay away from corporate sponsors. We want to say what we want to say. We don't want to just like show products we don't give a damn about. And we're asking for you to you know show your value in a monetary way. So if you could go to the dailyratings.com, you can go to the uh, donations tab and uh, – through PayPal, give whatever amount of value that you feel you received from us. You know, I mean, a few bucks and everything like mm-hmm. that, or whatever. Go on a payment plan. Do you think you know we're trying to grow it into something big, and it takes some takes a decent amount of time, a little bit of money, and it makes a difference with us as well. It makes a difference in the participation. Uh, yeah, exactly. That we have with you. Yeah, and write a note in to us. Uh, you know, you can email us and always write us in. But if you want your note read on air, mm-hmm. uh, just just donate something because we're going to read your notes that you send in along with your donations as well. If you want to be anonymous just say you want to be anonymous as well we won't say your name and otherwise um yeah we're trying to uh, kind of create a little uh community little tribe here 
And we just hope you enjoy our content. We're asking for just a little contribute back to us. We greatly appreciate it. The value for value model, dailyratings.com, donations tab. Let's keep this going here. Let's go to the now playing films, Vin. Okay. And we're going to start with Reminiscence. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, let's let's uh, leave the other one uh, for, for the last. Uh, we have Reminiscence being the first directorial debut of Lisa Joy. Lisa Joy comes from Westworld talent, as far as I can tell. But this is the first feature-length film that she is directing. This one is an odd one, not in the sense that it is going to be a hidden gem in any kind of way. It's an odd one because there is a huge amount of love and care put into the design of the film, uh, but really, unfortunately, was a terribly mediocre experience. Um, is that right? Yeah, and, and believe me, I, I can get behind science fiction films almost in any variety as long as they're doing something creative in the design area or in the concept area. And this definitely does check that box. Odd sci-fi, it is incorporating kind of a dystopian future that has environmentally dying world um, that kind of fuels a... A, a love of nostalgia and I mean they have uh, they have technology as futuristic as these dystopian memory machines however it's all wrapped up in like a 50s 40s uh, nostalgia where people are wearing suit and ties and fedoras and there's old school microphones and there's not really any cell phones in the movie. It's 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 an odd mix. I bring this up. So it felt like that you were in the fifties, but you weren't in the fifties. Like it, it, no, it was definitely meant to be in the future, but uh, the stylings of the future is is kind of forties, fifties oriented. It's very noir. Interesting. That is kind of in the genre here. I think if anything's driving that type of style, that it's sci-fi wrapped up in kind of a detective noir, is that it feels like a cyberpunk detective in noir we have uh, Hugh Jackman our main character being you know right out of uh, really any kind of noir tale obsessed with some sort of femme fatale type of type of female uh, there is a a draw there that he becomes obsessed uh, and it's it's you know on paper i would say that this film would be something that I would love, but I can't tell you that the devil is, I can't stress enough that the devil is in the details that the execution of the film is just so mediocre middle of the road. And it's such a shame because the world is so creative. You know, again, this dystopian, even maybe even some of my difficulty in describing it, the type of dystopian future and the type of science fiction in this film is very cool. The concepts uh, that are introduced are used very well creatively as action points and drivers in the script as well. So again, a good use of technology being incorporated into the character work and, and the screenplay. But it just, it feels like it's trying to do so many things. It feels like it's trying to be Blade Runner uh, but it's not, and then it also tries to feel like it's being like these old noir films, but it's also not. It's 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 almost like an imposter type of film that it it has all this care put into the world, but can't land any maybe that's of the jumps. A, yeah, hearing that imposter film was maybe a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. I only did you see the trailer for it? Yes, 
I didn't know what to think of the trailer. Right. It, it didn't look it makes great. Makes it seem like an action, like a more action, of an action. I got film. what you. It, I could understand how you would say, "Oh, this point is going for a um, Blade Runner kind of feel." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's 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 a shame. Does it fail because also like how was the acting? Was the writing? Was everything just not up to par? It just feels and so, it just so meandering. It, it feels just it didn't uh, know what it really wanted to be. Yeah, and, and maybe the assumption with Lisa Joy directing this, I don't know who has the writing credit on it, but maybe the assumption is that the visual design. She, all wrote, she maybe, wrote it too. Oh, she wrote it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the assumption is that the visual design, a la the new Blade Runner with Denny Villeneuve, would drive the interest so we can have slower, uh, sl- slower pacing in the film and you're kind of enraptured in what visually is being presented for you. But th- that elegance is just not there and that elegance is definitely removed by a very blockbuster narration by uh, Hugh Jackman throughout the film. And it's it, it kind of just muddles into this like middle of the road action film and honestly ruins all this setup all this creative technology and thought put into the world and world crafting by Lisa Joy uh, you definitely see maybe even some of the roots from Westworld and how it's a combination of future and old. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. Uh, for that reason. And it's cool. It really is cool. Just, I'll even give credit to not, you know, creating a story that's, you know, in the future, doesn't have cell phones in it. There's definitely conscious decisions uh, in this film, but it's just as you so said, mediocre. It wasn't executed right mm-hmm. in like every department. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. As far as, you know, a lot of care being put into what is done with the technology, these characters, this acting. I mean, Hugh Jackman is almost doing a bad impression of his character in Prisoners. It's, it's, oh, really? Yeah. It's, and it, Hugh it's, Jackman's just, great. I mean, I love Hugh yeah. Jackman. You like Hugh Jackman too. Absolutely. So he just, he wasn't given, he wasn't given, maybe he wasn't given the writing or the direction. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know? uh, also, the sets in this film, while again very creative, uh, I really do wonder into the production of this because we're in very tight sets, single room stuff. Is this a victim mm. of a COVID type of production style? You know, maybe do we have uh, separate actors in rooms? So maybe that translates to some of the odd dynamic uh, or the odd uh, performances yeah. and, and relationships. Something there. was just off about it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think if I had to boil it down into one area and, and certain Certainly for the bottom line in in, in regards to the rating, part of the problem is that the first half of the movie is just way, 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 way too slow. And and that relates to what I was saying that I think some of the assumption there is that the audience is going to be enveloped in this cool world and content to just watch the cool world play out. Mm-hmm. And that's the first half of the film. Then by the second half, we have the, the plot really stepping in and amping up its intensity. And by that time, it just feels like nothing has weight, nothing has substance. Everything falls together so quickly and I think for a detective style noir story, that again is a negative mark because it just feels too easy. Nothing is earned. Okay. Um, And uh, it's it's just a shame because more than it being an overwhelmingly negative film, I see the potential in this film and watch it flow. I almost, if you change director more time and maybe a bigger budget, it would be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Could, is this almost like director error almost? I don't know. Not to uh, it, harsh, it, it's your first yeah, film. But. Yeah. I, it would be tough to say that because undoubtedly, especially with a Westworld credit, I think the world was something that was maybe conceptualized by Lisa Joy. Okay, right, right. Uh, and, and that is a plus to it. But ultimately, it's just... 
what middle of the road. What could have been. Exactly. Okay. Lost potential is is resulting in this kind of tone, folks, uh, of how, how I'm talking about it. I mean, believe me, if it was something dog shit, I'd have a lot more fun and energy in uh, discussing why it's bad. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's something that I see a lot of potential in and almost none of it is acted upon. And... You know, it's it's a it's a unique world wrapped in a very basic action plot story. So, but bottom line, we are going to go ahead and give Reminiscence a fifty-seven. Fifty-seven, maybe even a little bit better than I thought. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fifty-seven. Yeah. Something you'll catch on an FX. Yeah, have on in the background <laughs> yeah. or whatever. It, For yeah, sure. Okay. And you'll say, oh, that's, that's cool. Maybe I'll watch this someday. And, you know, it's not very much talked about. It hasn't been, like, blowing up the reviewers or anything. It like got that. out of theaters real quick. I, uh, this yeah, was an HBO Max watch. it was watch. a bit of a flop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think 57, total middle of the road yeah. right there. And Absolutely. it's just the way you're acting, just, just yeah. watching you. It's, <laughs> yeah, my body language. It looks like a 50. This is, this is yeah. a, a typical 50 film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, let's see if we turn. That was uh, Reminiscence, folks, at 57. Let's see if we can turn it around here with uh, Malignant. Okay. Malignant. Yeah. Uh, a doozy. So uh, not that it affects anything with my rating, but definitely some of the draw. I mean, I was planning on watching this regardless because it was something that was easy to watch for uh, it being on HBO Max uh, streaming. James Wan is the director here. I will be completely honest, folks. I have not seen a majority of what James Wan has done in primarily the Conjuring series and Annabelle and, and right, the right. Nun. Uh, the Nun was the closest one I maybe came to watch uh, just because the visual design was I, I felt was really interesting. But I have not really cracked into that series uh, whatsoever so possibly that's fuel for October we'll see we'll see there's a lot of those films so (laughs) but I bring it up because this film online is being reported that James Wan is trying to specifically break the mold and boy did he break the mold because there is talk that this film is absolute dog shit movie Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we have a lot of voices claiming it is a campy masterpiece it's self-aware you know you just didn't understand it i hope at the end of this to help you navigate that as an audience uh, because nothing is more uh, nothing is worse than hearing buzz about a film and then getting kind of bit by it uh, and wasting time once again i mean this is would you say very much a polarizing film just as we yeah. had with videodrome <laughs> yeah yeah, d- definitely different ways, but yeah, polarizing as far as audience reaction. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. This film is if the if the pitch for James Wan's fans is that he's breaking away from a, f- a formula set in the Conjury Conjuring universe, then absolutely he succeeds on that. This is a predictable film up until the two thirds mark and then goes a little bit batshit uh no spoilers a, or anything in a good way or um, i would say that's the polarizing it, part yeah that's, <laughs> that really is the polarizing part i think what it comes down to is that you know the what this film is is a callback to 2000s horror scream the ring the grudge it's trying to create a very singular killer vibe that is the type of horror. And for me, 
I never found those films scary. I think it's important to note that this film I do not think is scary. Really? Yeah, it is not something that is above jump scares. It is not above kind of a little bit of gross-out horror with the brutality of the film. Uh, but would I call it scary? No. And, and I think that's a and that's a fail. And it's trying to be a horror first. It's not trying to be some crime or suspense mystery with a touch of horror. Like, it's meant to be... As far as first, as far as first genre listed, mm-hmm. would be horror. Would I, I think so because even if it is a on the masterpiece side that is intentionally going after a parody or campiness of these films, yeah, it still fails at the core of what it's about. That it's not a scary movie. I don't. I. I, I don't think it's it's scary at all. Wow. Uh, so it's, really let down. Absolutely yeah. uh, on that front, and I think that's sure. important to note because I mean we're talking about a brand new horror film. You know, again, that that's 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 the core ten. That's the keystone here. Yeah, yeah. So, but where it comes into play is that there's a balancing act that basically the film is kind of a setup into a very shocking last third of the film, and obviously no spoilers or anything like that. But uh, part of the reason why people are calling this a parody or some sort of you know masterpiece that knows what it is, knows what the genre is. Camp, of course, being intentionally goofy, but because it's going for a, a style, a hyper style. The question is, does it perf- does it make that balancing act? I think the acting is atrocious. The writing is worse. It, it, it really depends. It's in the eyes of the holder, though, because if you take a look at that acting and you say, hey, uh, is this supposed to be bad on purpose in service of the conclusion? I don't know. Maybe that's a way to see it. I think it doesn't do that balancing act. I don't think the payoff is worth it in 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 any regard to, huh. again, sacrifice scares to sacrifice intrigue into the world. Are you saying um, there's a chance that the poor acting could almost be part of it? Intent- I, intentionally done? Uh, yes. Uh, I think... I think the viewpoint on this film is that uh, James Wan is trying to, for for the fans of this film, James Wan is trying to create a very tongue in cheek, almost satire parody of Screams, The Ring, those type of films. And then hit you with with a, a, a you know a kind of a, that, a, a very different style of film. That's, as a it's result dancing of on that. the knife's edge. Exactly. Very difficult to get right. Uh, films that exactly and you you hit the nail on the head. In the horror genre, what comes to mind immediately is Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods was this meta horror film that horror films were parodied within the horror and referenced even within the movie. And in the same way, uh, I think that is going to be hit or miss for a lot of audiences. If you understand what it is and the intention of it, does it still succeed on its own? Is that parody worth it? And can it stand apart from that parody? Mm. I think for Cabin in the Woods, that's a successful balancing act. I think for Malignant, it fails at that. Wow, okay. Uh, Mostly because the payoff is really, really not enjoyable. And the first two-thirds of the film that you have to slog through, uh, it is boring camera... Boring soundtrack, a bad acting, bad writing. Uh, it's 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 tough. The horror is scattered in between investigative segments. And if I had to nail down why it's not scary, which is kind of tough. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a pretty subjective thing. I, if I have to nail down why I'm not edge of my seat or even appreciation of a scare uh, or, or the horror elements of it is that it's too investigative. It feels like a like a, a cop type drama, and maybe that again is the intentional result of 
of trying to parody a movie like Scream where it's like this is a killer with a motive. He is, you know, obviously mm-hmm. just very brutal and maybe has supernatural elements to it. Uh, you know, that blurs the line there. But uh, the investigative elements, the inclusion of help for our characters, of support for our characters, right. it empowers our characters in a way that horror is not going to benefit from and this film definitely doesn't benefit from. So were the times, especially you said, like the first two acts basically before things go, as you say, kind of like, like batshit crazy in act mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. with the first two acts, is it like... Oh, okay. We're just watching a like a crime. We're just watching like a tr- crime drama, and it's like, oh wait, we're back to horror. Was it doing that? Was it cutting in and out? Like at two, it felt like two different movies at times. Uh, it, I don't know if it felt like two different movies. I, I think or it's just more when so, it was horror, it was not good. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, it, it's more so the horror suffers because of this balancing act. Got, these okay, two gotcha. sides of the coin. You know, there's almost an abundance of over information in this movie, uh, which I think. I mean, I believe me, I'm no expert on 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 screenwriting a, a horror script sure. but I think sacrificing information to the audience is the way to build suspense to build unease you know uh, again there's is because of the investigative element in this film and wanting to give the puzzle pieces to the audience so maybe the sharp uh, viewer can say oh I knew that you know or can right. guess something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that which is fun in its own I think it, it hurts everything the film is about wow which is tough again I have to mention here it really is in the eyes of the beholder. If you are a James Wan fan, especially of the Conjuring universe, this is an interesting watch because you see him maybe even acting on some of the tropes of the genre, some of the tendencies of the horror genre, and, and riffing on them in a way, almost like a, a Sam Raimi or something like that. And man, uh, it, it's 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 really going to be a, a, a toss in, toss in the air if that's going to be something you have a lot of enjoyment of. I think if you pin yourself as that type of audience member and want a meta horror story, again, Cabin in the Woods is my recommendation. It's done it better. Uh, it's 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 achieved it better. And I think it's a little bit more on the nose. It's more of a, a, a tight film. For my non-horror fans, best thing I can compare it to, think about the first John Wick. What does John Wick do as far as intentional camp, intentional cheesy lines, and how successfully it does that in still being because, a good film? Right, because it knows how silly it's being in the moments it's being silly. When they're doing like highlights in the in the subtitles and things like that, and just the silliness, it knows mm-hmm. it's being silly purposefully. Exactly. And it's like, hey, we get it, but we're all having fun here. Exactly. That is camp, and this film has Done right. that. Yes. Exactly, exactly. This film definitely has camp, 100%, but I don't think it lands the balancing act to you know yield the crop on that or you know really get that to pay off for it. Wow, so, okay. Uh, but that's why there is a lot of disarray, a lot of polarization online, uh, especially of where does this film fall? Uh, and hopefully I've been able to give some perspective to it, especially because if it is going to be something that you're invested into to check it out and see these these twists uh, and and what may be talked about online in more spoilery spoil, spoilery ways then you know that's going to be something you watch regardless i land on the side it was not worth it and definitely not worth your time for that reason i think for all the camp for all the type of service it builds up to for a twist uh, I don't think the payoff is there, and not only that, more importantly, 
if we're talking about comparing the time you would invest to watch one movie versus another, I think you have multiple different type of movies that achieve the same type of goals that this film may be going for and do it better and succeed with it. This film just very simply does not succeed in what it's going for. So we are going to go ahead and give Malignant a 29. Whoa! Way worse than I thought. Okay, yeah. I thought honestly, you talk about. It, I was like, oh, he's he's coming in almost middle of the road, mm-hmm. just like we did with Video Drone, where sure. kind of you would be like, oh, not didn't love it, didn't mm-hmm. hate it. You're that middle mm-hmm. of the road guy, but no, okay, so you were in the camp of not good, not good, <laughs> not worth your time. And again, let's say you you say, oh man, I I want I, I want yeah, that type of meta story. You really didn't enjoy it that much. Yeah, I I did not. Let's say you really really want that type of story, or you want that type of campy dialogue. Uh, again, I can't stress enough enough is this worth your time more than cabin in the woods no. or others i'm sure uh, yeah is this worth your time more than like a john wick or or you know i mean those are just two examples i'm sure there's plenty yeah of- but that was a very good job you did of just dissecting the film mm-hmm. and what it's it's really trying to be two things and there's better options out there or films that can do it better dancing on the edge of a knife and not doing it well absolutely it, there's no there's not a good balancing act absolutely and and with how much conflicting information there out is out there as far as taste and is it worth your time again i really it, yeah, hope it, i'm it, able it, to navigate that yeah, as a watching people, guide it, and it's really they're really pushing as far as advertising because i've been seeing it everywhere and you know people look up a review or just like you know the rotten tomatoes of it and Mm -hmm. if you're coming if you're if you have such polarizing things it's nice to have a bit of a more understanding of Mm -hmm. what it is Mm -hmm. uh some people might look at a rating and be like well we have to watch this Mm -hmm. people are saying this is one of the best movies of this genre then we have to watch it other Mm -hmm. people are saying it's one of the worst yeah so yeah that's great i'm i'm i hope i i did the balancing you know we're talking about balancing acts i hope i was (laughs) able to do a balancing act and give you know no spoilery criticism on something that um, really is it is it worth your time? Uh, and I, I, I my vote is no. Hopefully that uh, gives you some insight better than you know the very polarizing view of this is the best thing ever or this is the worst thing ever. And you know it, you, you're going to have to watch yeah. it regardless. Right, you know? right, yeah, so. for sure. Very cool. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Vin, or are we rolling credits here? I think that's it. Uh, Again, uh, excited to hear from our audiences, uh, our producers. Uh, You know, give me some fuel. Uh, I'm excited more so in the collaboration of what that can be and either getting excited or outraged over movies together, you know? So I I think uh, that's just been sending out for me. Awesome, Vin. Thank you so much, Vin, for bringing these movies today, and we'll catch you next week. And for folks, we'll run down the list just one more time here. We have The Duelist at 83%, Videodrome at 69%, Hook at 72%, Reminiscence at 57%, and Malignant at 29%. We thank you so much for stopping by this week, folks, and we will see you next week. Bye. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our website, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mentioned on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.